0: Let me pray, Lord, as we have a beautiful fall day today, sun is shining, football is on TV, uh, there are those uh, under threat of losing their lives down in Florida. Um, Lord, we pray that you would do supernatural work in sparing people, Um, then Lord, for the the aftermath, we pray that um, money and volunteers would be raised up to go help. Um, Lord, we step back at awe of your creation, your power, and uh, we ask for your mercy. And now, Lord, as we open your word, we ask for ears to hear. Lord, may we apply what we hear to our own lives. Um, Pray that we would be open to your conviction, your encouragement, your leading. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, even uh, last night, I ran into somebody, and they handed me a, a piece of paper and said, have you ever seen these? And they were the bulletin bloopers. Have you seen the bulletin bloopers that church secretaries, they type in an announcement for the bulletin. Um, one of them says, bean supper will be held tonight in the gym, music to follow. Another one says, uh, our missionary Bertha Belch will be speaking next Sunday. Please come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. And then the one that's most pertinent to uh, our message today, uh, the eighth graders will be presenting Shakespeare's Hamlet in the church basement on Friday at 7 p.m., the congregation is invited to attend this tragedy. <laughs> so um, Shakespeare's Hamlet is a tragedy. If you look up the, the definition of a tragedy uh, when it comes to it being a play, a play dealing with tragic events, having an unhappy ending, especially one concerning the downfall of the main character. So today we want to continue to look at 1 Samuel and we see Saul, we're going to cover chapter 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, we see Saul spiraling down, 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 down. Now, last week we looked at chapter 17 where... Goliath is threatening the armies of Israel and nobody will fight him. And a, uh, a teenager named David says, I'll fight him. And he goes out there without armor, with just his sling, and he slays Goliath. And he's a hero. Now, uh, Saul becomes insanely jealous over David. And what, what I want us to see is at the beginning, Saul's son, Jonathan, loves David, and that is contrasted to Saul's hatred for David. But as Saul becomes filled with jealousy and bitterness, he he spirals down, 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 down. But let's begin by looking at Jonathan's love for David. Chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Notice the soul is mentioned three times. Soul, 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 soul. And Saul took him, David, that day, and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Do you get the idea that the soul is important here? Okay. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. Now, what I want us to see is how Jonathan's soul love for David is a picture of what a disciple's love should be for Christ. Because I I, I want you to remember that, that David and his life is a type of Christ. So his best friend's love for him is typical of what our love for Christ should be. They are, you know, you hear the the word soulmates? They are soulmates. Now understand this. When uh, a believer places his or her faith in christ it 's not just an intellectual activity. You know some people make it as simple as this uh you're a sinner, God became a man, died on the cross to pay for your sins, was put in a tomb, was raised from the dead. Do you believe that? uh-huh. Well, you're a believer. You must be saved. Well, I would die for the truth of salvation by faith alone. I believe we are not saved by works at all. But saving faith is far more than an intellectual activity. There is a soul transformation. Your spirit is knit together with Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians 6:17 but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. All right? So saving faith involves far more than intellectual activity. Now, what we're going to see is Saul clinging to and fighting for and willing to kill for the position of king. But Jonathan, who's the rightful heir to the throne, in this passage symbolically surrenders all to David. All right? what, what is giving him his robe? Is that just a nice gift? No, it's his royal robe. And the handing over of the sword. In, at the end of World War II, when the Japanese surrendered, uh, they had, uh, most of the officers had swords. There were, there were thousands of swords and they were required to surrender their sword to the Allies, right? But their surrender of the sword was a forced surrender. Jonathan surrenders his sword and his robe and his armor to David out of love. And I think this picture helps us understand some of the hardest words of Jesus. In, In Luke 14... Jesus says, if you want to come after me, here's what I expect. That you hate your mother and father and your own wife and children and your own life and you need to take up your cross and follow me. And then he he says this, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce, surrender all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, if you look at this as a a duty you must do to earn your salvation, that's harsh. Who would want to come to Christ if that's the terms? But if you look at this through the lens of Jonathan's love, it's not a duty. It's a heart response of love. How about you? Do you love the Lord? We sang songs of of surrender this morning. Do you mean them? Have you given him all? That's work salvation. No, it's not. It's true faith. It's the heart that says, I love you. You know, we've uh, used this picture before. This is from the old four spiritual laws. Here's the picture of the life where self is on the throne Christ is not on the throne, life is chaotic. And to place faith in Christ involves trusting Him, trusting Him so much that He now becomes the Lord of your life, on the throne of your life. You're at the foot, bowing, giving Him your sword, giving Him your robe. And He calls the shots. Can you identify with Jonathan's love for David? Can you see that in your love for Jesus? All right? So, this section starts with Jonathan's love for David. Now, let's take a look at Saul's hatred for David. I'm going to quickly take you through nine scenes. All right? And what we're going to see here, I, I believe what we're seeing here is the. The living out of Romans 1.28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Some translations, God gave them over. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So the idea here is, uh, though God has clearly seen the fool in his mind says there is no God or nature is God or that idol is God or I am God and they do not submit to God. So God hands them over to sexual immorality, to a debased mind. So they can't even see how embarrassingly out of tune they are with reality. Saul's a terrifying example of what theologians call the wrath of abandonment. When God hands a rebel over to their rebellion, and they spiral down, 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 down. Now, what you're going to see in Saul are moments of God talk where he talks about God and even makes a vow that he won't hurt David. And so he knows all the God lingo, but his heart is spiraling down, down, down. Folks, the purpose of this scripture is to terrify us. Why else would it be here? It's to terrify us into saying, oh, Lord, May that not be me. Spare me from this. Pour your grace out upon me. Change my heart. All right. So Lord, I pray that as we look at Saul's downward spiral, you would work in the hearts and the eyes and the ears of any who are on that same path. Open their eyes, open their hearts, so they cry out to you, Jesus. Jesus. So here we go, nine scenes. First, there's the Saul's thousands. So David has slain Goliath, and uh, the whole army has pursued the Philistines, and now they're marching back into town. Right? And they, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. I wonder if they had pom-poms. you know. um, But here's, here's their song. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me, they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. He eyed him with a jealous eye. He says, what more can he have but the kingdom? Samuel already told him, God has ripped the kingdom away from you and he's going to give it to someone better than you, someone with a heart after God. And, And Saul's paranoid already. But now this young upstart has killed the giant that he should have fought, that Saul should have fought, and now all the women are cheering for David. And he becomes insanely jealous of David. What is, what is jealousy? Well, you go, how come that's not one of the Ten Commandments? Well, it is. It's the Tenth Commandment. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's donkey, your neighbor's oxen. And I can honestly say I've never coveted the neighbor's oxen. Okay. Um, Yeah. So uh, what, what is it? It's shaking your fist at God and saying, what you've given me, not good enough. Oh, boy, I wish I had that other person's lot in life or car or wife, or job, or personality. It's really slapping God in the face and saying, you've ripped me off. And when God hands you over to covetousness, what a miserable life. All you do is walk around discontent, not bringing glory to God, not being joyful, but just being a miserable person. Do you fight discontentment? Do you fight jealousy? Do you fight against, yeah, really, what's wrong with pornography? It's saying, I'm not happy with what I have, and I'm going to drool over somebody else, right? Right? So Saul becomes insanely jealous of David. Now that's scene one. Let's move on to scene two. Saul's demon, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved. He raged within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul. Hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was a, now, look at this Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul's jealousy made him susceptible to the demonic, the demons. Led to bouts of rage. Are you a rager? Be warned. Saul's rage led to murderous violence. Are you an abuser? Starts with jealousy, it starts with discontent. And already, It's attempted murder. Let's keep moving on. Um, Saul was afraid of David. Let's look at this. Saul's fear is now talked about. Verse 13. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. Get him out of my palace. Let him just go do what he's good at. Let him lead the men. And he went out and came in before the people. That means he went out to fight and then he came back victorious. Went out to fight, came back victorious. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. Reminds me of Joseph in Genesis. The Lord was with him, and he was successful in everything he did. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. So as uh, the rest of Israel is praising and admiring David. Saul is is grumbling and and hateful and fearful of David. Is your life characterized by a mixture of jealousy, anger, and fear? Okay, not nah, have you ever feared or have you ever been jealous, but if your life is characterized by jealousy, anger, and fear, I just need to tell you that's not normal. You know, pe- some people live their entire lives this way and they go, Well, that's just what it's who I am and it's how everybody is, right? N- n- no, as we read this, we're, we're, we should be going, That's not right. Something is wrong here. Evaluate your life. So, now, next scene. So, so here we're on to scene four Saul's first daughter. Then Saul said to David, Here's my elder daughter, Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him. Or Here's how I should read it Let not my hand be against him but let the hand of the philistines be against him right so now saul had already promised his daughter to the person who would kill goliath david already did that but apparently saul didn't make good on that promise but now he's like hmm hey david I will give you my daughter. You will become my son-in-law. But here's the price. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. But we're told his motive. His motive is that the Philistines will kill him. You know what this is called? Manipulation. I'll tell you one thing with a smile on my face, but in my mind, I'm manipulating the situation and I am hoping that you will die. All right? And Saul's jealousy and anger and rage led to using his own daughter as a manipulative tool to have David killed via war. By the way, little footnote, I wonder if this is where David learned to use war to kill a guy. All right? is Saul's first daughter. Now, David, um, he is a valiant warrior, and at some point, Merib is already given away to somebody else. So she's promised to David, and and she's given away. But you know what? Saul has another daughter. Saul's second daughter. Saul thought, let me give her, and and by the way, her name is Michael, and she loved David. She had a little crush on David. Um, Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So here's what he says. He goes, you know, the last time I just told him to be valiant. I'm going to be really specific this time. David, you can have Michael's hand, but the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. All right? Max, if you're listening, no. Um, some of you will go, you'll, you'll go, what was he talking about? Ah, okay. Um, hi, Max. It's Caitlin's boyfriend. All right, so a hundred Philistine foreskins. See, you got it, right? <laughs> Rest of you, you'll wake up around, around halftime today. Like, oh, that was funny. All right, so. What, what's this? He's got to kill, because you're not going to say, could I have your foreskin, please? This involves death. Kill a 100 Philistines and hand them over, and I'm going to count them, and then you can marry my daughter. So what does David do? David rose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. He must have really loved her. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he, must be, uh, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. Here you go, Saul. Yep, here's, here's Michael. All right. Everything David does succeeds. And then it says this, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Interesting. Um, so he, he's more afraid because God is with him. Notice it says Saul was David's enemy. It doesn't say David was Saul's enemy. Have you ever had somebody hate you? And you're like, I, I don't hate them. I, didn't, I, I don't have a problem, but they hate you. It might have something with the fact that Jesus was hated without cause and you have Jesus in you and the ungodly to hate you. Okay, Next scene, Saul's first kill order. So uh, Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Orders out, kill David. David and Jonathan knows about this. So Jonathan says, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Dad, can we talk?" And he talks to his dad, and he says, "Listen, he hasn't sinned against you. In fact, his, his deeds, killing all these Philistines, has brought you only good. And remember, he killed Goliath. And Saul OK, so what's Saul's response? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan, Saul swore. As the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. I swear to God, he says, that David will not be put to death. You go, oh, good, he's come to his senses. Verse nine, then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he eluded Saul so that he stood Struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. He, have you ever dealt with people who one minute, I, I am so sincere. I swear to the Lord. They're Bible verses and they use God talk. And then a few minutes later, they're back to their old behavior. It reminds me Of the abuser who beats the wife and then he comes to his senses and cries and pleads it'll never happen again until it happens again. So that's his first kill order. So David now escapes. He goes home to his wife, Michael. This is his next kill order. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. So David's in his house and he's surrounded by Saul's men. So Michael helps him escape. She puts a dummy in his bed with goat hair on the pillow. And uh, she helps David out the window with a, a bedsheet, right? And David flees to Ramah. That's where Samuel, the prophet, is. So Saul sends officers to Ramah to arrest David. And you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they prophesy. So they're on their way David, we're going to kill you. Praise the Lord. P- give praise to him, him who all blessings flow. And they start prophesying and praising God stopped by the Holy Spirit. So Saul sends a second group and they start prophesying and praising God. And he sends a third group and they start prophesying and praising God. So Saul says, I'm going to do this myself. And Saul goes to kill David. And it says, and he too stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Laying naked is not a good thing. That's not, remember, um, nakedness is a, a symbol of, uh, of being exposed, okay? So, um, have I ever shared this verse with you? Because he's prophesying. Saul's got a demon influencing him, yet he's prophesying. Doesn't that mean he must be saved? Have I ever shared this? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. But I prophesied. So did Saul and his men. Okay. Scene number eight: Saul's bad aim. Okay. So um, David finds Jonathan, and they have this little conversation. And it kind of goes like this. You know, maybe we're misunderstanding Saul. By the way, counselors have a a, a term for a certain type of person. They can call them a crazy-making person. Where there's just all this inconsistent behavior, and those who are trying to help, they start to think, maybe it's me, maybe I'm the crazy one. So David and, and Jonathan are going, maybe, maybe Saul's good, and we're the ones who are reading into this. So they come up with a plan. Um, David's going to stay away from dinner. David sat at the table with Saul. He's going to stay away from dinner for three nights, and they're going to see if Saul notices. And Saul notices. And Saul says to Jonathan, where's David? And... Uh, Jonathan says, Oh, he asked to be excused. He went to Bethlehem to see his family and to offer a sacrifice. So, what's Saul's response? Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. What's mom have to do with this? I do not, uh, do I not know that you have chosen the son of. Jesse, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. <laughs> so, uh, isn't this interesting? First, Saul has tossed his daughters under the bus. Apparently, he and his wife weren't getting along. right? But now, look what he does to Jonathan. By the way, little observation. The ungodly person on the downward spiral affects everybody around him. Especially their own family. So Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Do you think? So, Jonathan and David had worked out this secret signal. Jonathan was going to go practice shooting arrows in the woods. And they had this whole thing worked out where if the arrow goes so far, David will know that he's safe. If he goes further, if he he tells the little boy picking up the arrows, go further, David knows it's not safe. So he, he signals to David it's not safe. And the point is this. Jonathan and, and David are so terrified, they have to communicate with spy code. Do you have somebody in your life where you're so afraid that you, you're on pins and needles about who you can talk to and what you can say, and you have a secret email account, and you, you're, so What's going on here. This is a secret email account between Jonathan and David. So David flees, right? Now, the final straw. Saul's slaughter. David is on the run and he stops in the city of Nob. Okay? So um, here is Jerusalem, which is not the capital yet. It's yet to be the capital. But Nob is right next to Jerusalem. Okay? And Saul is in Gibeah. So David flees to Nob, and this is the town where all the priests live. Okay? He goes to the high priest. And he doesn't let on that Saul's trying to kill him. He says, I'm on official business. By the way, you got anything to eat? And the priest says, no. Oh, oh, there is, you know, in the tabernacle, we're supposed to put bread out every day before the Lord. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. Holy bread, it's not magic bread that is the body of God. It's holy because it's set apart. That's, that's what it is. It's holy bread, but he gives it to David. And Jesus uses this when the Pharisees criticize him. Your, your uh, disciples eat with unclean hands and they shouldn't be eating this on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, You know, remember when David ate the holy bread? I, I can do this. Well, who do you think you are? You think you're greater than David? Mm-hmm. either Jesus was the most arrogant person in the world or he's God Right. so uh, the priest's name is Ahimelech now David is talking to Ahimelech and Nob now it says there was a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord his name was Doeg the Edomite The chief of Saul's herdsmen. Now, what does it matter that he's an Edomite? His first loyalties are not with Israel. He's from Edom. Ah, he got a job working for Saul. But this whole priesthood thing and the God of Israel, whatever, okay, that comes to play in just a second. All right. So, uh, David says, Thanks for the bread. Uh, Hey, Ahimelech, do you have uh, any weapons? He says, well, I just happen to have Goliath's sword that David captured. And so David's sword is now Goliath's sword. Okay, And he flees to Gath, which is in Philistine territory. And the people recognize him and they drag him before the king of the Philistines. Now, how's David going to get out of this one? Uh, He... He drools on his beard and acts crazy. And the king says, do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Do I not have enough mad people here? Get him out of here. So, next time you're pulled over by a cop, you know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Officer Travis. (laughs) So David, he actually hides his parents and then he goes to a cave and says, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him and he became commander over them. What a motley bunch, right? And there were with him about 400 men. So two coalitions are forming Saul and David. And now Saul gets word from Doag that David had been in Nob. So he goes to Nob and he says to Ahimelech, the priest, Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me? Conspiracy theory. He's he oh, everybody's out to get me, and you, the priest, you're out to get me. Right? Then Ahimelech answered the king, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David? Why are you after David? And he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what's going on. But Saul is convinced that even the priests are out to get him. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, his bodyguard, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because their hand also was with David. And they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. So so here... The bodyguards of Saul, they go, you know, Saul, enough is enough. You want us to kill the priests of the Lord? No, we're not going to do it. Then the king said to Doag, you turn and strike the priests. And Doag, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. That's, they were priests, 85 priests. And Noab... And and Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep he put to the sword slaughters an entire city men, women, children, animals. Talk about breaking bad. Now, I told us, would you please apply this to yourself? And you hear this and you go, well, I'm not that bad. I've never slaughtered a village. I'm good to go. Let's watch the bears. But do you see early Saul in you? Do you see a life characterized by jealousy, anger, fear, family strife, maybe violence? The purpose of a passage like this, I believe, is to illustrate Romans that if you're on that spiral downward... God can hand you over. But, but, let me mention another Saul in the Bible. Not King Saul, but this was Saul of Tarsus. Just as angry. Responsible for killing Stephen, the first martyr. I think I probably would have written him off as handed over to the abandoned wrath of God. But God had mercy on him. And Saul of Tarsus surrendered his sword to Jesus. And he became the Apostle Paul. If today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Surrender your sword. Surrender your robe. Look at him who died on a cross to pay for your sin, to change your heart, to change your mind, to rescue you from the downward spiral and pull you out. Do you love him? Do you trust him? Are you willing to throw yourself at the foot of the cross? There is mercy there. There is forgiveness there. There is rescue from hell there. Let's pray. Lord, very, very sobering this morning. Thank you. For giving us this picture of what we're all capable of. And thank you, Lord, for the cross that can rescue us. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, my prayer is that every one of us would want our souls knit together with yours. Lord, do your amazing supernatural work, transform lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.